Hello and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. We are diving into the rich and life-giving tradition of Advent this Christmas season. And the word Advent, used to describe the 28 days that lead up to Christmas, stems from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming. We want to spend this time intentionally slowing down, remembering Jesus' first coming, and growing our expectation for His second. This week, Pastor Josh Rhodes begins our series, Advent He Has Come, with a message about hope, waiting in anticipation, not because we don't know what is to come, but rather because we do. We hope that this talk will encourage and inspire you as you grow in your relationship with God and others. So today, as we begin this new series called Advent, He Has Come, I'm going to bring a message about hope. And I think this is something that we all could use a little bit more of these days. Hope is a powerful quality. It just is. And it's a word that I find myself using often that I imagine you do as well. I think about most mornings when I take my kids to school and I'll find somewhere to park, get out of the car and hug each of them give them a kiss, say I love you, and then I'll say I hope you have a great day. Or a neighbor will share with me that they're sick or their kids are sick, and with all sincerity of heart, I'll say I hope you feel better. I hope your kids feel better. Or when a friend shares about an exciting opportunity like a job or a new house potential, of course I'll say I hope you get it. Or when a family member, which happened recently, shares that they're going through a really difficult situation, a a relationship that seems to be falling apart, I'll say, I hope everything works out. And even though I mean it, truly, when I say those things, and I know that you mean it when you say it, I hope, I hope, I hope, sometimes our kids still have bad days at school. And sometimes people don't get better right away. And sometimes the job or house falls through. And sometimes the difficult situation that we hoped for and prayed for and believed for would turn around, would come around, doesn't. And when this happens, not once or twice, but time and time again, it can leave us feeling a little bit low on hope, maybe even hopeless. And perhaps you wonder... Why have hope at all? I mean, why get your hopes up if the relationship or health prognosis, job, house, or any other good thing that we hope for, for ourselves, for a loved one, for our community, might not happen? I mean, what's the point of having hope, especially when our world feels so hopeless? Well, I would say that this kind of hope that we're used to talking about, while it's genuine and it's uplifting and I think is necessary to help get us through our days, there are no guaranteed outcomes. This kind of hope sincerely desires something good to happen, but it's based on other people who we can't control. It's based on circumstances that we can't Control. So this kind of hope, while important, really could be best described as optimism. 
or at times, perhaps, wishful thinking. What we need is a different kind of hope, a a, a deeper, a, a wider, a stronger kind of hope that is woven throughout the pages of the Bible. It's a biblical hope that can anchor and sustain our souls through the ups and downs of life, both personally and as we've seen the last few years, especially collectively. And most importantly, we need a hope that will surely carry us from this life to the life that is to come. This is the kind of hope that God's people have had for thousands of years, as we're going to see today. And it's the kind of hope that I think if we rediscover, it could make a huge difference in our life. So in our time together, there's really just four things I want to cover. I want to talk about a biblical definition of hope and how it's different than optimism or wishful thinking. Second, I want to look at hope through the Old Testament leading up to the birth of Christ, his his advent, his arrival to the world. And then briefly, I want to look at hope in the New Testament as it relates to Christ's resurrection and his promised return. And then finally, I want to talk about even if you are a believer, what do you do when you're feeling hopeless? Because there's been a few seasons in my life where I felt hopeless. I knew all the right answers, but I still felt that way. And perhaps that's where you are. So I want to conclude with some thoughts that I think will really encourage you, especially if you're in a tough spot right now. So first, let's talk about what is hope. What is a biblical hope? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, which is often referred to as the love chapter, talks about how love is patient and kind and other tremendous qualities, but it concludes by mentioning the importance of hope. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Here, hope, this this quality, this amazing thing is placed in the Christian top three, so to speak. If we were discussing education, we would say, well, reading, writing, arithmetic are like the top three because those are essential to get through life. You need those three because they all are interconnected and dependent on the others. So it is with faith, hope, and love. And though love is named as the greatest, all of them are essential because they encompass the past, present, and future. And in this verse, and in the 50 other places that use the New Testament, the Greek word is elpis. And it can be described in this way. It's the desire of some good with expectation of obtaining it. So when you read that word hope in the New Testament, think not wishful thinking, not optimism. It is an expectation that that promise from God is going to be fulfilled. Another resource says this, it's to look forward, right? Hope is future-oriented, to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. So biblical hope then refers to a confident expectation. It's looking ahead to a future certainty in God, his promises and his goodness. 
And again, human hope, while important, it can be wishful thinking. I hope our team wins, but we lose. I was really hoping my family would get along this Thanksgiving, but they fought again, or I hope I get the job and I didn't. Or as biblical hope, it's different. It's knowing for a fact that God's promises will happen because he said it would. And as I've, I've thought and I've prayed about this message, I, I think a biblical hope is always important to have. But I think for me, when times are good, I don't really need to draw on that as much. But when times are hard or when we're facing uncertainty or facing serious challenges, we need it all the more. Which is why Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. So while the New Testament has this one primary word for hope, the Old Testament has a few different Hebrew words that bring out different dimensions. And we're going to look at a few of those. First from Psalm 38, 15, it says, For I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my Lord, my God. Psalm 42, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. And in Lamentations 3, 22 to 24, if, if you're looking for some verses to maybe commit to memory, these are great ones. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. And the Hebrew word in all three of those passages is the Hebrew word yakul. And yakul carries with it the idea of waiting. Of waiting and hoping and expecting and trusting, that's what the word means. Wait, await, hope, expect, trust. So biblical hope, as we'll see in the Old and New Testament, always involves waiting on God. It almost always involves waiting to see what he's doing and how these things are going to work out. And I don't know about you, but our modern world does not make it easy to wait if a biblical hope, a confident expectation involves waiting, I'm not so good at that. High-speed internet, Amazon Prime, DoorDash, uh, those drive throughs that somehow know what you want before you get there and have it bagged before you get there. You know, it's, we, we live in an on-demand, get-what-you-want-when-you-want-it culture, but that's not how our God works. It involves waiting. So then what is hope? Well, I would submit to you that hope is waiting on God with trust and confident expectation to do the things that he has promised to do. It involves waiting, and it involves trusting, and it involves looking ahead with confidence that God is going to do what he said he will do. And, and for us to say, I put my hope in you, God, or I will wait in you, God, or I trust completely in you, God, is not wishful thinking. Because unlike circumstances that we can't control or people who will fail us, God does not change and he does not lie. If he says it will be, it will be. And when I think about 
this biblical hope and how it's rooted in the past and God's past fulfilled promises and how we can look forward with confidence to the future, I think the seasons changing illustrate this so well. And I know some of you at this point, or maybe you're in South Carolina or Florida or out west, uh, benefits to that. But you're missing the changes of the season. Here in Morgantown, we recently had our first snow. Just a dusting, but it was cold. And here was the view from my deck. Now, while I love snow, this picture makes me sad. It just makes me sad. The leaves are gone. There's snow, but the annoying kind that there's not enough to play in or maybe go do donuts in, some of you right? But worst of all, in this picture, there's no sight or sound of my kids or the million neighbor kids that run and play and jump. But when I look outside and as I see this view over the next several months, I have hope. I have hope that the leaves will grow, that the birds will sing, and that the kids will be back to play. Why do I have hope that that will happen? Well, because spring came last year and spring came the year before and spring came the year before so I can be confident based on the past that spring is going to come again in the future. And so it is with biblical hope. We might feel like we're in the winter without end. Sometimes that winter can last years. As we're going to see in the scriptures, sometimes it can last thousands of years, hundreds of years, generations. But eventually, the spring does come. Eventually, God does fulfill his promises. So hope then is a confident expectation in God and his word. And second, against this backdrop, let's consider this theme of hope in the Old Testament as it relates to Advent, this period of waiting for the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. Now, when we say the word Advent, some of you immediately know what that is because you grew up in a church tradition or maybe family tradition that emphasized this season of Advent leading up to Christmas. I I didn't. I grew up in a, a Baptist church and this wasn't something that we really talked about But I sort of wish I did, because even though it's not a requirement, I think it's helpful to slow us down and keep us focused on Christ each Christmas. Now, if you're not familiar like I was, uh, Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which means arrival or coming. And it's marked by the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. So it starts today, November 27th. And again, it's intended to be a time that helps prepare our hearts to once again welcome the arrival of Christ the King. And each of the Sundays and weeks are focused on particular aspects of what Christ brought into the world. Things like hope and faith and joy and peace and love. For our series, we're focusing on hope, faith, joy, and peace. And the best we can tell, this goes back a ways. This is something that that we, again, the best we can tell has been happening for like 1,500 years that Christians have been marking this season 
And then a few hundred years ago, some Christians added in what's called the Advent wreath. And again, many of you are familiar with that. Sometimes they have four candles of various colors, and sometimes a fifth candle is added to to represent Christ, the Christ candle that you light on Christmas Eve. But you light each candle of the four Sundays of Advent. And these are just things that, again, help focus our heart and mind on Christ. If you're, if you're not familiar, if you didn't grow up with it, here's a few images, various designs of Advent wreaths. That first one, you'll see the different colors. Uh, the second one, I, I thought it was cool. It was just simple. You know, remind you of each of the four Sundays leading up. And then th- this third one, I probably got to say is the best one because my wife made it this weekend. Because when you preach, you tell your wife everything you're talking about and they graciously listen to you rehearse. And she's like, I think we need an Advent wreath. So she went to the store and that's on our table as we speak. So today, uh, being the first Sunday of Advent, the first candle in the Advent wreath is called the candle of hope or the candle of prophecy. And what Christians have done on this first Advent, this first Sunday of Advent, is they've looked back to the prophecies of Isaiah who prophesied about Jesus' birth, his life, and his death. And and he was a prophet who spoke for God. He lived around 300 years before Christ would be born. And many of you are familiar with the passages I'm about to read, but these come to us from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 9. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, again, this was 700 years before Christ. Here we are 2,000 years later. So we can look back 2,700 years ago and and understand what this verse means, what this prophecy means and how it would come to pass. But for them, the original listener, how perplexing that must have been that the Lord's sign would be a virgin conceiving a son. I mean, how can a virgin conceive apart from the miraculous? And his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then in chapter 9, Isaiah prophesied further about this son, the Emmanuel. And again, just beautiful scriptures we love at Christmas time. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So 700 years before the birth of Christ, this hope was given to God's people that this Emmanuel, this mighty God, would come with all of these qualities and would rule on David's throne with justice and righteousness, and he would rescue them from their oppressors. Now at that time, they didn't know how or who or when, but they had hope. Generation after generation, they would hold on to hope, to their confident expectation. And, and I think holding on to hope for 700 years is remarkable. To hold on to hope for that long. But if you zoom back 
and see that God's salvation plan goes back even further, it's that much more incredible. You see, this prophecy from Isaiah is rooted in God's promise to Abraham, who lived approximately 2,000 years before Christ. In Genesis 12, we see this promise. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He promised Abram, who later would become Abraham, a land, a nation, a great name, blessing. And through his family, through his family, the entire world forever would be blessed. And in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, from verses 1 to 17, we follow the family tree from Abraham 2,000 years ago to David 1,000, and then to Jesus. It says this, in accounts of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And if you read the rest of that chapter, you'll see name after name from Abraham to Isaac all the way down Generation after generation, 2,000 years, culminating in the birth of Christ. And they held on to a confident hope that God would keep his word. And maybe you'd wonder why. I mean, sure, there were probably times where their hope got a little bit shaky. And wondering, God, where are you? Where is this fulfillment? But they did hold on to hope. And that's because... They saw God work over and over again. Abraham was able to have a son in his old age that shouldn't have happened. Their family grew exponentially. They were set free from the the bondage of Egypt in the Exodus. God made a covenant to them at Mount Sinai. They entered the promised land. They conquered their enemies. King David's throne was established. So for Isaiah, sitting at 700 BC, he had 1,300 years of their history to look back on, to reflect on. And that gave him confidence that God would keep his promises again. And 700 years later, after Isaiah prophesied, their confident hope was fulfilled. Matthew chapter 1, 22 to 25. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, Mary, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. You see, hope for the Old Testament, this this long period of waiting culminated in the birth of Christ. They didn't know how or who or when, but they were confident it would happen. So this theme then, this confident expectation from the Old Testament, of course, then moves into the New Testament in Christ. And specifically, the hope of the New Testament, as we'll see, is rooted in the resurrection and his promise for a second coming. One of his disciples, Peter, you remember the one who denied Jesus three times before he would go to the cross. God inspired him through the Holy Spirit to pen first and second Peter, short books towards the back of our Bible. 
And Peter's often called the apostle of hope. Because Peter, along with the other disciples, they recognized Jesus as the promised Messiah. You remember that it was, it was Peter who, who made the claim, you are the Christ. They recognized him. But their expectation was different. They believed that the Christ, Jesus, had come to overthrow the Roman oppressors. That's what they were expecting, that he had come and finally he would overthrow their greatest enemy. But what they didn't realize is that their greatest enemy wasn't Rome. Their greatest enemy was sin. And he would conquer it on the cross. But when Jesus died on the cross, their hope died too. They were hopeless. They had full confidence, full expectation in the Messiah, but then their hope died. But three days later, but three days later, Jesus was raised to life and their hope was raised as well. So when you read the hope that, that Peter has, as we're going to do in a moment, you'll see it's rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. That if he be raised, so too will we and a confidence that he is with us in our trials, and a confidence that he will come again to make all things new. I mean, follow along as we read this passage. It's a little bit lengthy, but tell me that this passage doesn't give you hope. Tell me that what you're about to hear doesn't make you want to jump up a little bit, because this is our hope. 1 Peter 1, 3-9, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, that even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your salvation, the salvation of your souls. That's good. That gives me hope because this passage makes it so clear that our hope is based solely on Jesus. He has come, he has risen And he will come again. Our hope is alive because Jesus is alive. And all who place their trust in him will be forgiven, will be given the Holy Spirit, new life, eternal life, will be raised to new life. And we are promised to be with him for eternity. No one else and nothing else can promise that but Jesus. And that is why we will not hope in anything or anyone or ourselves. We will only hope in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. This reminds me of an old song that we would sing growing up. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust 
the sweetest frame, which they think is referring to the frame maybe of a person or maybe the frame of a house. I dare not trust the sweetest person or in my belongings or my stuff, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. If we put our hope in a person or a promotion or a job or a political leader or ourselves, anything besides Jesus, that hope is sinking sand. It may hold up for a little while, but eventually everything and everyone falls short, disappoints, or fails. So our hope today and for our future is built on Jesus, his birth, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, and his promise to return. This is a hope that will not disappoint. So in light of that, this amazing hope that we have in Christ, it's seen in the Old Testament, it's seen in the New Testament, but there's still times where we feel hopeless. What do we do? And I'm not talking about that pit that we get in our stomach where every day we see more bad news and we see another act of violence or we see more evil being pressed upon us. I'm talking about a hopelessness. Maybe for you, you can't go to bed at night or you can't face the day. And if that's where you are, no hope whatsoever. I would ask if you know the living hope. Have you placed your faith in Christ for salvation? Because that hope will not disappoint you. Romans 5.5 5 says, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If you're feeling completely and utterly hopeless, I would ask, has the love of God been poured into your heart? Do you have the Holy Spirit who comforts and gives us peace? If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, I would encourage you to do that because you cannot have hope without Christ. That is where we start and that is where we end. Now for the believer... Again, I mentioned that even with Christ, there have been times where I have felt hopeless. And maybe you can relate to that. Let me remind you of just a few brief things. First is Jesus promised he would be with us. Before he would go to the cross, he said this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and, be, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. He was promising the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to come and be with us, to walk with us and guide us in this difficult world that we lived. And Romans 15, 13 talks about the peace and the joy that the Holy Spirit gives us in hard times. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Regardless of what you're facing, he is there to help you through it. And I also remind you that he's promised to work all things together for our good. The things that often leave us hopeless, the failed opportunity, the good, the bad, the hard, the confusing, God takes those things that aren't good and he makes them good. He's promised to do that. 
And when we don't know how or when the thing that we're facing in this life can get any better, I would remind us that ultimately our hope is yet to come. It's not in this life. And this life can be incredible and it can be wonderful. But this life is short. For some, it's 20 years. Some, it's 40, 60, 80, maybe 100. But our hope moves beyond this life with eyes to the life to come, the thousands and thousands and thousands of years that we will be with our Savior. In the last few months, I've had two very different conversations with two brave souls that I'll never forget. One was with a pastor from Ukraine who under his leadership is seeing that the rescue of men and women and children from their country. And he's also in his role facilitating the delivery of supplies such as food and water and sleeping bags because it's really cold over there right now. And the second conversation I had was with a younger woman with a severe health diagnosis. And as I talked with both of them, heard their stories, prayed together, though each of them are facing such different hopeless circumstances, they had something so deep and so strong in common. Their hope in Jesus. And though this pastor's prayer is for safety, for his family and for his loved ones, and for the enemy to leave and for their country to be restored, he has not placed his hope in a political leader or their military. He told me that he does not fear driving through war-torn streets to see who he can rescue. Because if his van gets hit, he knows where he'll go. He has a confident expectation that if he's taken out, that he'll be with his Savior. And, and though her prayer is for healing and for many more years with her family, her hope is not in a doctor or a treatment plan. Her hope is in Jesus. And when we talked, she said, you know, Josh, I, um, I would be most of all sad for my family who would be left without me. And it would be sad without me. She said, but I don't fear. I don't fear. I am confident that Jesus will carry me from this life to the life to come. His hope in Ukraine and her hope in a bleak prognosis is in nothing else and in no one else but Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus the one who came from heaven to the cradle to the cross, the one who has forgiven our sins and has secured our eternity, the one who is with us through the Holy Spirit to give us joy and strength and peace in the hard times, the one who has promised to work out those hard things we face for our good, and he is the one who is coming again. He is our living hope. 
Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.